Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcasts at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at eric, E-R-I-K, dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Our lesson this afternoon comes from Uh, It's a single verse out of the 14th chapter to the letter to the Romans. It says this, For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, this afternoon we are continuing uh, our focus on prayer and discussing prayer and uh, focusing our practices through Lent on prayer. Um, And if you guys have already fallen off the wagon, uh, which I have, by the way, in doing your daily prayers or your fasting, it's okay. Just jump right back on. Uh, Choose today to keep going and and to continue on. If you go a couple days and you miss one, it's okay. Just get back up on the wagon and keep going. Um, Don't be completely derailed this Lent season because you can still find so much goodness um, out of doing that practice. So if you've already uh, missed a couple days here and there and you've kind of given up, don't give up. Just get back going um, and keep moving forward with that. But we're focusing on prayer this year, and um, we're, we're going through the Lord's Prayer, and we're taking each part of the Lord's Prayer, and we're focusing in on it. And last week, we focused on the very introduction, the very first uh, couple lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we talked about how that hallowed, that's a prayer to uphold the holiness of God's name. We're praying that God would make himself holy to us. He would make himself famous in our hearts and in our world. And today we're moving on to the next part, uh, the next two petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to talk a little bit about kingdoms and a little bit about will and what it means for God's kingdom and God's will to be established here in our hearts, in our community, and in our world. So the first thing we're going to do today is we're going to think a little bit about kingdoms. And that's not a word that we use um, a lot, uh, but it's a political word. That's what the word kingdom is. And as I was thinking about and praying about uh, this particular, uh, these particular petitions and this particular uh, congregation, there were two things that came to mind. The first one um, that I think can help us understand a little bit about kingdoms is sports. And you might think that's a little, little trite, a little funny, but I will say when I moved here, the first six months to a year was dominated by sports talk. And it may not have helped that when I came, it was right before the NFL season began. And of course, this is Bears country and everyone's obsessed about the Bears. But we are people, especially Americans, who are dominated by sports. And sports are fantastic. Uh, athletic competitions are amazing. They're enjoyable. They're entertaining. Sports are great. But we have a particular way of thinking about sports, and, and I noticed it right away when I moved down here because I moved down from Wisconsin. And so the number one question I, ha- I got asked was, well, you're not a Packers fan, are you? 
That was the first question uh, that most people asked me. And it's because of this, this uh, there's a little bit of tension, right, between the Bears and the Packers and the Vikings. And so I've heard from people in this congregation, from people in this congregation, that they can root for any football team except for the Packers, right? And in sports, we have a particular, uh, especially in the United States, uh, we, we see view sports a particular way. And in sports, if I win, what does that mean? You lose, right? And if you win, then I lose. And what is the worst rule that they have ever introduced into the NFL? Ties, right? That's like, it's un-American, right? And that's why we don't like soccer. We don't want to see people run around the field for 90 minutes, score zero points, and end in a tie, right? Somebody has to win, and somebody has to lose. That's how we view sports, and in many ways, that's how we view kingdoms. And, and in fact, being a Chiefs fan, uh, they call Chiefs fans the Chiefs kingdom. They actually use that word to talk about the fan base. And if my team wins, then your team loses. If your team wins, then my team loses. That's how sports works. And that's kind of why we like it. And so that when we win, we attach our identity as winners. We have a pride in our sports teams. And when they lose, we feel hurt. We feel like our pride has been damaged and our identity has taken a hit because our sports team has lost. It's kind of a zero-sum kind of game. It's a zero-sum mentality. Only one of us can win. It's either my team or your team. That's one way that we think about kingdoms. And really, sports teams are kind of like kingdoms. They dominate our lives um, in the United States. And then there's another thing that dominates our lives that will seem a little bit more clear, and that's politics. And as you guys know, I'm a bit of a, of a news junkie, I'm a headline junkie, um, and I have my particular political views, and you have your particular political views. I do not care what your political views are. I'm not going to tell you mine either, but I enjoy just watching the game happen. I even just called it a game, right? I enjoy watching the drama unfold. So I've been enjoying watching this uh, democratic primary process and these individuals compete against each other for who's going to run for the office of the presidency of the United States. And if you've been keeping up with that, what's one of the main arguments that these, uh, these uh, primary uh, challengers, these, these, these the people who want to get the nominee, the nomination, what do they say? They say, I am more electable than the next person. And specifically, they say, I'm the person to beat who? President Trump. It's, it's almost like sports. I am going to be the person who is able to defeat the other team. And if they win, then we lose. And if we win, then they lose. It's almost looked at almost like sports, right? And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference if you're watching Fox News, CNN, or ESPN because they're set up the same way, right? These talking heads talking about the ins and outs of all that's going on in the world of sports or politics or drama or whatever it is. And so in politics, we play this way too. It's zero sum. There's a couple other things that dominate politics as well. There's this, I'll do whatever it takes to beat the other person. 
They will, they will spin stories. They will misuse facts in order to spin the story to make the other person look worse than they actually are. And both sides do this. There's no, uh, there's no innocent parties when it comes to this kind of playing. They will, and it's, they really, they break, they break commandments when they do this. They'll, they'll construct, they'll put the worst construction on every single thing that the opponent says or does. Everything that they says reveals some, reveal some nefarious uh, racism or some sort of uh, nefarious um, evil that they want to just gain money or power in their politics by taking this particular office. There's this, what, I will do whatever it takes to win. And even if we think their politics, their policies are moral, more often than not, every politician will use immoral means to get that office. They'll lie, cheat, and steal to make sure that they are in power. Everyone does this. This is how kingdoms work in our world. And we can look back at history. This is how, unfortunately, our own country has behaved towards other countries. This is how other countries have behaved towards each other. All the way back through history, through the history of the human race, this is how humans have interacted with one another. If I win, you lose. And if you win, then I lose. So I better make sure that I win. That's the kingdom of the world. That's the kingdom that we see all around us. And so then we're confronted by Jesus, who says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that he's instituting the kingdom of heaven. And we see a much different way of existing in a kingdom. This is how God's kingdom operates. God's kingdom operates through self-sacrifice. It seems backwards to us, but somehow Jesus knew that in order to beat sin, flesh, and the devil, he had to be crushed. He had to be killed. He had to be falsely accused. He had to die. He had to lose in order to win. In order to defeat death, he had to die. It's totally backwards from what we think. But the kingdom of God operates by self-sacrifice, by laying down the life of the innocent one in order that all may be redeemed. That's how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God works through diligence. God always does the right and loving thing, even in the face of his enemies hurling insults and attacks at him. And in this case, we're the enemies of God. Right? In the scriptures, as we read through them, humans are the enemies of God. And despite all the horrible promises that they break, all the horrible things they do to God, God continues his diligent effort, his patient, tough work of redeeming humans. And it took nearly 2,000 years to do it of him just steadily moving forward with Israel every step of the way until the time was right to send Jesus. There's a diligence in the kingdom of God. And the last thing that I was thinking about this week is that the kingdom of God operates by love, by concern and well-being for the other. And this is what we hear in our passage in this Romans 14 passage, it says, For the kingdom of God is not food and drink. It's not what we do and don't do, what we abstain from or what we eat. But it's of righteousness or diligence. It's of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Those are not external things, those are internal things. Love and peace and joy and righteousness and diligence and sacrifice mark the kingdom of God. And it's so much different than the kingdom of our world. And so then the question is, how do these kingdoms coexist? Right? How can there be these two opposing kingdoms where one kingdom is always trying to winning, is always trying to win, and the other kingdom is willing to sacrifice itself in order to show love and compassion and joy and to be righteous and diligent in its work for the other? Well, it's a little bit like this. It's like uh, going into an enemy territory and staking a claim and saying, this spot, everything else around us might be going to hell in a handbasket, but this spot right here is the kingdom. That's exactly what our churches are. Our churches are colonies of this new kingdom planted in the heart of the dying kingdom, planted in the heart of the kingdom of the world. And so all the world around us is going to hurl insults at each other and at us. All the world around us is going to try to play dirty in order to win. And here is the church who makes itself, who makes itself known by its diligence, its righteousness, its sacrifice, its peace, its joy, and its love. It's a countercultural movement. It's a banner marked. In this spot, in Sterling, Illinois, this spot represents a group of people who have committed themselves by the grace of God and by faith in Jesus Christ to love and serve and sacrifice for one another and for their community. When everyone else in our community is going to try to lie, cheat, and steal their way to the top, we are not. We're diligent. But that requires something of us. It requires us to give up all the ways that we think we need to win. Because we're still going to try to win by lying, cheating, and stealing our way to the top. We're still going to try to use the old kingdom's way of operating instead of using God's way of operating. And so something has to happen to us. And this is why we are called to die to ourselves. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross and you have to follow me because we're going to want to be the kind of people who respond uh, to fire with fire, with fire. We're going to be the kinds of people who want to do whatever it's going to take to win. We're going to, be the, we're going to want to root for particular political parties because we think that they're the best and we're going to support and lift up immoral actions in order to get the best result, Right? We're going to be tempted to do those things. But the kingdom of God doesn't operate that way. So we have to do this work of dying to ourselves, of dying to our own expectations. And in our prayer life, it looks a little bit like this. We'll be praying for a situation, um, a business deal, or we felt, we've, we've felt like we've been cheated by somebody, or we feel, we feel kind of victimized because we think that our business partners aren't doing what we think they should do, or, or we think our neighbor or our child or our brother or sister or whoever is not treating us right, and we're going to be tempted to either not pray about the issue or pray things like this, God, please let this person fail. Please let me uh, have the power here. Please let me be proven right in this situation. Please do something to stop the other person from doing this. 
And on one hand, we should pray like that. On one hand, we should be honest with God. If that's how we feel, then we should tell him. He wants us to tell him. But prayer doesn't stop there. If we continue to pray about a thing, slowly God is going to reveal all the ways that we're um, going about it by the old kingdom's methods. He's going to reveal to us that we're actually our own ego and pride, our own feelings of hurt and regret are, going to get in the, are getting in the way, and he's going to make us start stripping those things away. And it's going to be painful, and it's going to be humiliating, and it's going to be hard to work through that. But at the end of the day, prayer is not getting God to do what we want, but it's just getting in to whatever God is doing. God is already working in all the situations that you're praying about. All the big and small things that you're praying about, that you have concern and worry about, God is already in those spaces. He's already working. And we can either say, God, do it this way. God, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. Or we can say, Lord, what are you doing here? And how can I join you in that work? We don't pray in order to change God, but when we pray, we in fact are changed. We become more joyous and more peaceful and more righteous. There are all sorts of good things that we get when we pray. God, he downloads the Holy Spirit into us and we get all the fruit of the Spirit. He downloads the Holy Spirit into us and we begin to have discernment about what we should be doing in particular situations. We are changed when we pray not the other way around. And if you're finding yourself stuck in your prayers, James tell us that it might be because you're praying with the wrong intentions. You might be trying to twist God's arm to do something the way that you think it needs to be done. When in fact, prayer is us getting in on what God is already doing. So that's why uh, this this afternoon, um, this teaching is entitled, To Pray Is To Change. Because when we pray, we are changed. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that means that my kingdom has to fail, my kingdom has to go away, my will, my ego, my desires have to go away, and God's will, God's work, and God's kingdom has to be established within me. It's going to be a painful process of giving up my own thing, giving up my own will, giving up my own decisions and handing them over to God, but it's necessary if we're going to know God as our Father. It's necessary if we're going to participate in His kingdom. And God's always waiting there for you. He's always working in the situations that you're so diligently praying the wrong thing about. And He's going to say no. (laughs) He's going to answer no to your uh, prayers that have bad intentions. Finally, when your heart, when your soul is broken of your own ego and your own desires, that's when the breakthrough happens. And you now can operate in these situations. He's not going to change them the way that you want to. He's doing his work, and you get to join him in that work. He wants to draw you up, and he wants to partner with you in what he's doing. To pray is to change. And so we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Or as Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. This week, um, as part of the, in the, the prayer card, part of the opportunity is to write down the things that you're praying for that you feel stuck on.
And the encouragement is to pray every day that God would do what he needs to do in those situations. You're going to hand it over to God. And then as you begin to hear from him about what he's doing and how he's operating, then you can write some notes about maybe some things that you can do, some of the ways that he's partnering with you. But it starts with praying this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, but your will. Amen. Amen.